you are going to remember where you were right now for the rest of your life. You are listening to On the Mound with Max Stanzer, Matt Sossler, and Tommy Muma on VIC Radio. Hello and welcome to On the Mound here on VIC. I'm Max Tanzer, joined alongside Matt Sossler and Tommy Muma. We hope you guys are having a fantastic Saturday morning. We're going to bring you all the baseball news you need to know as we are just about a week and a half, two weeks till opening day. Guys, I can't wait. Tommy, let's start with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm with you. I can't wait for opening day. We're almost there, and it's going to be a great year. How about you, Matt? Well, for me personally, I think it's great. Two weeks away from opening day, I think that everything's heating up, including the Cubs' arms. Jake Arrieta had a good day earlier this week, Trevor Williams as well. And we're getting near the starting point, getting near opening day. Can't be better. Yeah, you talking about your Cubs right there. Let's talk about Tommy's Yankees right now as the hurlers are looking very good for the Bombers so far this spring. Combined, Garrett Cole, Debbie Garcia, Domingo Herman, Corey Kluber, Jordan Montgomery, and Jamison Tyone, 46 and one-third of an innings pitched, have given up just nine earned runs, 30, 31 hits, 55 strikeouts, 12 walks, good for a 175 ERA. That's stat courtesy of Tonkin Yanks of John Boy Media. And I saw that stat on Twitter, you guys, and it blew my mind. I knew that these guys were doing well, but this is going to create a really, really interesting dynamic for Brian Cashman, Aaron Boone, and the rest of the Yankees front office and baseball operations staff as we get closer to opening day here because the idea was is obviously five of those guys will make the opening day rotation, and it's very difficult because you have variables both on and off the field with these guys. Obviously, Domingo Herman, uh, we don't need to talk too much about what happened off the field. Very unfortunate, disappointing, but it makes it difficult for the Yankees, and I'll start with you Tommy you know he's been performing incredibly well this spring uh, this last week another tremendous start uh, where do you sit with Domingo Herman right now and just the idea of him potentially making the Yankees starting rotation yeah I mean it's difficult for sure right everything off the field and like you said we're not going to get into that but um, you know when you take a look at what he's done on the field he's pitched incredibly well like you said he hasn't given up a run this spring 13 strikeouts in his nine innings pitch. So personally, I feel like he is going to make the rotation, uh, probably that fifth spot. Uh, But you mentioned the other guys, Garrett Cole. Obviously, he's going to be there ready to compete. And, you know, he got roughed up a little bit in his last outing on Wednesday. But for him, you know, he's more looking at improving things. He's not worried about the results in spring training. And But like you said, Tyone, Kluber, Montgomery, they've been absolutely outstanding this whole spring. And you know, it's a good sign to see, especially with all the injury troubles that, um, you know, particularly with Tyone Kluber and Montgomery. You think about Montgomery coming off of Tommy John just a couple of years ago, and this will be the first time that, you know, he's pitched a full season in quite a while. So, uh, you know, it's great to see for the Yankees for sure. And, um, you know, there's still question marks, right? You know, it's just spring training, but I'm feeling good about entering the season. It definitely is spring training. You definitely have to take these numbers with a grain of salt. But if you're a Yankees fan right now, you're in a pretty good spot to say the least here. And you bring up a very interesting point, Tommy, just durability is a a general point here entering this long 162-game season for the Yankees. Because remember, most of these pitchers, 
if they even hit the 40 inning mark maxed out at about 60 70 60 70 innings or so last year so it's going to be pretty a pretty daunting task to go out there and expect 150 to 200 innings from all of your starters this year especially when you have guys like Corey Kluber who obviously only threw one inning last year about 20 or so in the last two years uh, you talk about a guy like Jamison Tyone who didn't throw a single inning last year so there is a little, there are high expectations for these guys and I think that applies some pressure here and that's why it's good to have depth in these situations right here we, like let's say for example if it's Montgomery and Debbie Garcia who make the rotation this year if you do start Domingo Hermana AAA that stinks now you could have him in the pen if you want we'll talk about that a little bit later but if you do start him at AAA let's say one of those guys gets hurt which is definitely a possibility then you have depth that you can bring up in the middle of the season that can help sort of pave the way until you can get Luis Severino back you know that's something that's going to be interesting with the Cubs this year Matt um, obviously getting rid of you Darvish bringing in Zach Davies you guys got some young arms as well including Azalea and so forth coming up uh, what are your expectations for the Cubs rotation right now one of the softest throwing rotations Major League Baseball, but still looking to lead this club uh, to an NL Central title. To answer your question, Max, I think the Cubs, in terms of their rotation, I have medium expectations. You know, you lose a guy like you, Darvish, Cy Young candidate, Cy Young finalist, it's going to be difficult because you're not going to get a U Darvish in return. They didn't get a U Darvish in return. They got Zach Davies in return, and I think I'm expecting him to put up half of the numbers that you Darvish did, and then I'll be happy. Because then also keep in mind you, Jake Arrieta, who at this point in time I'd say is a stunt double of John Lester in terms of stats, wins, losses, ERA, all that jazz. And I think that if you can have those two cancel out and replace each other, you have Kyle Hendricks, who thank God he didn't get hurt the other day when he was running the bases. I saw him (laughs) with that collision at first base and my heart dropped. Um, But... You have him doing what he can do out of the one spot. Trevor Williams has been great over the few times that he's pitched during spring training. You got Alec Mills who threw a no-hitter. I'm going to keep riding that train until someone else throws a no-hitter. And then you also have Albert Azale. And you mentioned with the Yankees that they have many pitchers beyond their five in case someone gets hurt. Well, I think for the Cubs, while injury is always a concern in any kind of sport, I think really for the Cubs, you're more focused on if someone doesn't come out of the gates the way you expect them to, then you have people ready and waiting either in the pen or in AAA. You also have Braylon Marquez, who hasn't had a lot of reps in spring, but he did make a couple of appearances in the last series, last season against the White Sox, and did okay for his first job. Obviously nothing that made the news wire, but for a young pitcher, I think it really worked out. Yeah, and I think it bears down to this. You said it. You didn't get you Darvish back in that trade. Very disappointing for sure. But Davies is still a very dependable pitcher, a good pitcher. In 2019, a full season, 31 starts, a 3.55 ERA and 159 and two-thirds of an innings pitched. Last year, garnered a small sample size, was still 12 starts, 69 and one-third of an innings pitched, 2.73 ERA. This rotation is going to induce a lot of soft contact, a lot of soft ground balls. The good news is, is they got a good defense behind them with uh, exactly. Baez and Horner exactly. up the middle, Rizzo at first base, a former Gold Glover as well. And I think that will really benefit them there. I mean, let, let's take a look at the options that the Cubs have in this rotation. Kyle Hendricks, ground ball machine. 
Davies, ground balls. Alec Mills, soft-throwing ground balls. Jake Arrieta, the list goes on. Again, Arrieta is still a question mark. Obviously, has not been good the last couple of years. But then you add in Williams, Azale Marquez, who are both very young and definitely have a little bit more of a ceiling, I think, towards the future right now for the Cubs. It's not a terrible rotation. If their offense can you know, put up some runs, I think the Cubs could really have a successful season this year. But yes, I think that pitching depth is going to be really important on both ends. And what I like about the Cubs, Matt, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, is it's a different look baseball, right? Baseball now is power, power, power. Strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. Swing and miss, swing and miss, swing and miss. The Cubs aren't going to have too much of that this year, but I think it's going to be something fun to watch, something to really treasure here, is if you look at all the rotations in baseball, you generally have strikeout-heavy guys who are going to be facing hitters who tend to strike out a lot as well, but the Cubs will be forcing a lot of action this season in their rotation, and I think that's something that, uh, as baseball fans, we're going to have to value a lot this year. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's fantastic that the Cubs have a lot of soft contact guys in their rotation. Obviously, with pitchers like Garrett Cole, where it's strikeout or bust, among many other pitchers, I think that it really makes a difference with the Cubs because the fact that you're going to get a different look with the Cubs, it's like in football when you're playing a high-powered offense, an air offense, and then the next week you have to turn around and play ground and pound. It's the same thing in baseball where you have a pitcher who's going to either strike you out or there's gonna be hard contact so I think that in terms of the Cubs rotation also you look at Wrigley Field and you look at the way that the ball is hit there if the wind's blowing out the pitcher wants to stay in the dugout if the wind's blowing in the pitcher wants to win so I think personally that that's gonna play a role as well and I think as you mentioned the defense behind even though it's nowhere near I think what it was back in 2016 when you had I think three gold glovers or three gold glove finalists at least in that infield but Nico Horner is still an up-and-coming player especially on the defensive side so honestly I think I hope that they can have a clean fielding game and that the bats can wake up because the one thing that you've got out of you Darvish is your offense could take a step back when you was on the hill definitely and you know obviously it's been proven that power pitching can work I mean you look at the Rays right now, one of the most dominant rotations. I'll give them some credit. They do like to mix up velocities and arm angles and so forth, so they have a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, even look at the Yankees. We talk about that rotation. Garrett Cole, power. Debbie Garcia, eh, he gets up to, what, 94, 95, right, Tommy? I guess he'll yeah. He has good stuff. He has good stuff. But then Domingo Herman again, power, so forth. Um, and you got these guys dominating the scene in baseball right now. And then you got your mix of soft contact guys in that Yankees rotation. I won't diminish that. But generally speaking, the game has been dominated by power pitching. So it'll be just it'll be fun to see if this Cubs rotation can succeed and prove to the baseball world that you know this sort of old fashioned approach, if I even dare call it old fashioned, because it seems like just ten years ago that was still. Very very relevant in baseball but it'll be interesting to see if they could prove that this could be a viable asset for a baseball team here in the new age of launch angle exit velocity spin rate and so forth so we'll see how that plays out let's get back to new york here some more encouraging news on the baseball front if you're a baseball fan looking to attend a game in person this year new york state this week announced that there will be 20 percent capacity caps for both Yankee Stadium and City Field. The Yankees specifically will also be requiring testing. Uh, this is great news, Tommy. I know you're a Yankee fan trying to get out to some Yankees games this year. Uh, when was the last time you went to a Yankees game? I, I don't even know. I mean, the last time I went was game two of the division series back in October of 2019. When was your last one? 
Yeah, that was a great game. You were at. You saw Didi hit that grand slam. Yes, yeah, amazing. One, oh my gosh, that was an amazing one. But yeah, the last one that I was at was August third, twenty nineteen. It was actually a doubleheader against the Red Sox. Saw the Yankees win both games, so it was a great day. Um, saw Glaber homer a couple times in the night game, and actually DJ homer twice in the day game. So it was a great day. Can't wait to get back out there, but. Yeah, I mean, it's very encouraging that they're going to have 20% capacity. Um, prior to that, it was only going to be 10%, and there were going to be about four to 5,000 fans in the ballpark. Now there's going to be close to 11,000. So, you know, it's very encouraging. I can't wait to get back there. No doubt about that, and I think, you know, it's a good step in the right direction, right, to see that we can allow fans back into the ballparks here and bring some life to the stadium. I mean, we saw it in the postseason last year, spring training this year so far. Uh, I can't wait for opening day, and I hope I get to attend the game at some point soon. It's good to see the Yankees are implementing testing as a protocol as well before entering. Matt, when was the last time you went to a Cubs game? I mean, for you, it must be a while, the summer of 2019, right? Yeah, I'm getting the exact date for you right here. I want to be sure uh, I get that date right. Yeah, you know, it's... And, but it was in July against Cincinnati. It was July 16th of 2019 against Cincinnati. Kyle Schwarber in the throwback uniforms hits one over the left field wall. And it's famous because all over YouTube, there was some adult that took a ball from a kid. It was that walk-off home run and ran it up the bleachers and showcased it and all that. And he's a YouTube legend forever now. But besides the point, great game. It was my first walk-off. And I'm just inching to get back. You know, I got in the virtual line for <laughs> single-game tickets. That's how they're doing it this year. They're making you enter for a drawing because tickets are so scarce, especially for the Cubs where we're a step or two, or excuse me, where the Cubs are a step or two behind the New York teams. So I think the city of Chicago will eventually get there. I think that Mayor Lightfoot, especially considering that she's a diehard White Sox fan, a diehard sports fan, that that will be on the front of her list. Who knows? Maybe she'll uh, allow added capacity at guaranteed rate field before she adds it at Wrigley Field in order to create some sort of advantage, but who knows? <laughs> but I think that um, I'm just excited that there's a potential to have fans back at Wrigley, fans back at guaranteed rate, fans back everywhere. I think that it's the right time to do it. I think as long as the proper protocols are being followed in terms of testing being sure that you're vaccinated because the last thing that we or that you're vaccinated excuse me but the last thing we all need is to have another outbreak tied to a baseball game no doubt about that um you know and hopefully everything is safe and we can get a good successful season in and as and as we get deeper into the season maybe we'll see those percentages expand and maybe get up to 40 50 percent if not higher uh let's move on a little bit now here let's talk about those angels right now we're going to talk about the al west specifically later in the show so make sure to stay tuned for our predictions on that division but let's hone in on a specific los angeles angel right now it's not mike trout it's not anthony rendon it's shohei otani who's had a very intriguing spring one definitely to uh, look at if you haven't yet already. Of course, Otani, uh, a two-way player, both pitches and hits. 2018 Rookie of the Year put up fantastic numbers both on the mound and offensively as well until really, you know, he tore his UCL and it's been all downward since then. Got on the mound for 
one inning, if you could really even call it an inning last year, pitched for the Angels on opening day in Oakland against the A's, but got roughed up and then unfortunately was shut down on the pitching side of things for the rest of the season and then could not carry it with the bat, just OPS, just put up an OPS of 657, hit a buck 90, so really struggled. But the numbers are very encouraging this spring if you're an Angels fan. Otani in eight games so far offensively. He's hit four homers, seven RBIs. He's hit 600. That's 12 for 20. Has just struck out twice. These numbers are as of Thursday, March 18th. We are recording this beforehand. But the point is, is Shohei Otani has been raking this spring. If you look at it, if you look at it on the pitching side of things, it's been up and down. A 13.5 ERA, which is nothing to be fond of. But in four innings, has struck out nine batters, and I think that's something to really emphasize right there. That he feels good. The fastball is working. The strikeout numbers are up. So I think over time here, the more comfortable he gets being back on the rubber, I think he'll settle in here. And look, I think Shohei Otani could be a potential MVP candidate if he stays healthy. And that's talking about a guy who offensively may play 110, 120 games in a season, but the pitching and offense combined can be so valuable for a team. Imagine if he puts up I don't know, a four-war on the mound and a three-war offensively. That's combined for a seven-war overall, and you're getting success on both ends. That could be so valuable, especially for an Angels team that needs pitching help. So Shohei Otani is a big player to look at right here. Uh, what are your guys' expectations for him coming into the 2021 regular season? Well, I think when he came over from Japan, you know, everyone was like, this is going to be the 21st century version of Babe Ruth. And baseball fans have been waiting, and they've been waiting. They've been waiting to get that sort of Babe Ruth-esque kind of player. And I think that this might be the year. Obviously, injury is always a potential, and it's a potential for everyone. But if he can stay healthy, and he can stay sharp, I think this could be the year that he breaks through. And honestly, if I'm the Los Angeles Angels, and I see that he's struggling at one or the other facet, and he's doing okay, or if not fantastic at the other, I wouldn't be surprised if they limit him to one side of the ball. Yes, I, think I agree. You have, you, have to, you have to take advantage of whatever his strength is, and you have to limit his weakness. I don't think it's worth it to showcase him on both sides. If he's going to be average at both, I'd rather have him be great at one and not do the other. And obviously, he can be used as an emergency pitcher if he needs to go in or who knows maybe if they're light on bats one day and he needs to dh you can do that as well but i honestly think if you spread him too thin he's not going to reach his full potential and obviously he has a gift that he can play on both sides but that doesn't mean that you should use it and given joe madden's managing style that he's very aggressive and likes to move people around put them in unconventional spots i hope that he realizes the kind of player that he has right here and that he uses him in order to maximize the potential instead of, again, spreading him too thin. Because, again, if you spread him too thin, you're not going to get the full Shohei Otani that came over from Japan a few years back. Yeah, you painted a picture in my head right there of a scenario that would be really interesting. You know, imagine it's 2025-2026. Let's just say, per se, Manassian, Madden, and so forth have shut down Otani on the pitching side of things. So we're in the 2026 World Series the Angels are in an extra inning affair against, I don't know, the Giants, rematch of 2002. We're in the 18th inning, and the Angels are out of pitchers. Shohei Otani hasn't thrown a pitch in four years, and he comes out of the pen, 
and he dominates. How cool would that be? Anyway, I don't know why that popped in my head, but <laughs> I think this is an interesting conversation to talk about. Another thing I wanted to talk about, too, with Otani that Matt, t- Matt touched on was the idea of you know limiting to him to just one side, whether that's hitting or pitching and I think in this case realistically if that were to happen that would be hitting you know because pitching has been the weakness for him not necessarily when he's healthy but the reason he can't stay healthy is because of pitching and I think he's so dynamic offensively when he's on that it's a shame that it almost holds him back in a way from playing every single day if not even performing at the level he's capable of I mentioned he struggled mightily last year you got to imagine a part of that was the 60 game season another part maybe because of the injuries he was dealing with on the mound but this is a guy who put up a 925 OPS in 2018 in 104 games, 848 OPS in 106 games in 2019. Imagine this guy playing every day offensively. I say, if I'm the Angels right now, I give Otani one more chance to be a two-way guy. And if the elbow just does not work pitching-wise, I think you got to give up on it. Maybe take a couple years off even. I don't know. It's a hard decision. But I would say give up on it and just let him hit because he's so important to this Angels offense as well. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And you take a look at 2019 when he didn't pitch at all and he hit in 106 games for the Angels, and he was very productive, hit 286, 18 homers, 62 RBIs. So I think, you know, and he didn't pitch because of the injury and, you know, everything with the elbow there. But I definitely think that's interesting. I think it's a good point for sure. Um, and, Matt, you touched on it as well. I think that you have to utilize him the best way for the team. And, I think they will. I think they recognize, um, you know, what they need to do. and um, But we'll see what he can do, though. Like you said, spring training, he's been outstanding, hitting 600. You know, pitching-wise, the ERA, 13.50, it's not what you want. But at the same time, you said nine strikeouts in four innings. That's very dominant um, in terms of swings and misses. So uh, definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. Another thing, too, to keep in mind, He'll be making $3 million next year, not including the signing bonus, as a 26-year-old. That's how young he is. So he still has plenty of time to go. He probably is just entering his prime if he hasn't even yet. Uh, So if you're the Angels right now, look, I think a lot of people say Shohei Watani's a bust. He's a bust. The Angels are barely paying him anything. He's so young already. The fact that he's been able to already prove he could pitch a full season and play a full season offensively as he did in 2018 as a 23-year-old is pretty dang impressive. He was healthy in Japan as well, so you know what's in there. You got to hope that he could stay healthy this year on the pitching side of things because it's really one of the coolest stories in baseball. Alrighty, that's all we have for this first block here on On the Mound here on VIC. Once again, Max Tanzer joined alongside Matt Sossler and Tommy Muma. But make sure to stay tuned. We got plenty coming your way. Top five stadiums, our sleeper teams, spring training games to look out for, all coming up next. You're listening to On the Mound here on VIC. We'll be right back. VIC Radio is the voice of Ithaca College. Here's a campus organization you can get involved in. Planned Parenthood Generation Action is a student activist group that works directly with the Planned Parenthood of the Southern Finger Lakes and the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. They are dedicated to keeping Ithaca College conscious of reproductive justice and of legislative attacks on people's bodies regarding healthcare. Their meetings are on Thursdays at 7 p.m. in Friends 207. To join, email icgenerationaction at gmail.com or follow icgenerationaction on Instagram. Want to get your organization's message on the air? Email community at vicradio.org to connect with the campus community involvement director. 
Welcome back to On the Mound here on VIC. I'm Max Tanzer, joined alongside Tommy Muma and Matt Sossler. Got a ton of baseball to talk today. Let's get right back into this one, you guys. Some spring training games to look out for here on Saturday. I'll go first on this one. I'm taking the easy one. I'm sorry, you guys. Dodgers-Padres, of course, this is going to be one of the biggest rivalries in all of baseball this year uh, with the big offseason the Padres had and, again, the big offseason the Dodgers had. Two of the biggest powerhouses in all of baseball sitting in California this year. Dustin May versus Ryan Weathers in this matchup, which will be very interesting. Of course, Dustin May, one of the more versatile pitchers in the game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Dodgers utilize him this year. Uh, but again, so dominant. One of the nastiest fastballs in all of baseball. And then Ryan Weathers, a top prospect for the Padres as well. Made his Major League debut in the postseason last year for the Padres. Again, maybe a guy who doesn't even get to make the rotation just because of the depth the Padres have in that respective area. But again, could be a potential bullpen piece as well. Emergency starter and so forth. A guy definitely to look out for. So that's what I'm going to be watching for today, 4:10 Eastern time on MLB Network. Uh, Matt, let's go to you now. What are you looking forward to today? Well, Max, the one I'm looking at, I'm looking at Cleveland Indians versus Chicago White Sox. It's Cal Quantrill versus Dylan Cease. And right now, Quantrill, 1-1, one one, 6-4-8 ERA, 6K. Cease, not a whole lot of action, no record, no ERA, two strikeouts. But one of the reasons why this is very intriguing is because anytime you get a potential division matchup in spring training. It's always something to keep your eye on, and I think that these two teams could be battling it out in the top of the American League Central. But another reason why I want to take a look is specifically in the White Sox rotation. They did add some arms with Lance Lynn this year, and as well they retained Lopez, Rodon, and Cease as well, and I think that it's important that Cease has a good game because he'll be a fringe guy between the bullpen and the rotation. So we'll see if he's able to make that jump and see if he can get the fifth spot because, as I mentioned on the top of the show, time's ticking down, and these reps are going to start mattering because eventually, maybe not this week, but perhaps we'll talk about this next week. Next week is probably going to be the week where a lot of managers go through the dress rehearsals where they play their starters a little bit longer than they usually do before we get to like really the last week of spring training where it's minor league guys one through nine because they don't want anyone getting hurt. But overall for Seeds, I think this is a big appearance, divisional opponent, and a chance to put himself on the inside. Yeah, if you guys want to watch some good baseball, it is this week and next week as well. As Again, cuts will be happening as well. Obviously, some players being demoted to minor league camp as the roster continues to uh, get smaller and smaller as we get closer to opening day. This is the time right here. And I'll tell you guys, spring training has really flown by. It feels like just yesterday was March 1st, and we're already on March 20th here, just about 10, 11 days to opening day. That's a week and a half. I, I cannot believe that. Tommy, what games are you looking out for today? Yeah, I think you both had really good games. I'm going to take a look at the Twins and Rays um, at 6.05 tonight. Twins coming in at 6-9, and nine, Rays 7-9. and nine. And, you know, these are two teams that, in their respective divisions, they're really being underlooked, in my opinion. Um, you know, many are expecting the White Sox to run away with the Central. And in the East, it's the Yankees. And, you know, even the Blue Jays, some people are considering them to be ahead of Tampa. And, you have to think this is a team that was in the World Series just a few months ago. And, you know, given Blake Snell no longer with the team, and, you know, they did sell a little bit, but I think they're still going to be very competitive. I know we were talking about this uh, off-air before the show, but, um, you know, in terms of this game itself, Kenta Maeda is going to be pitching for Minnesota, and he's just been outstanding this spring. 
Nine innings pitched, 12 strikeouts, no earned runs. He's been great for Minnesota. And, you know, he pitched very well last year, 2.51. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 2.51 in spring training career, that is. But, no, he had a good year with Minnesota, and he's been great this spring, and I'm really looking forward to it. Tampa doesn't have their uh, their starting pitcher scheduled yet, but it's going to be a good matchup. No doubt about that. And Kenta Maeda, a Cy Young finalist last year, and has really taken over as the ace of that twin staff. I mean, you know, if you're a Twins fan, you've been waiting for Jose Barrios to take that role. And don't get me wrong, Barrios is a fantastic pitcher, but they've needed an ace. And it looks like they've found that in Kenta Maeda, uh, you know, especially losing Jake Odorizzi for the majority of last year due to injuries. And this year in free agency to the Astros, of course, Maeda's role is that much more emphasized. And I think that he's going to be a huge part to the Twins' potential success this year. Alrighty, we keep talking about opening day again. Opening week is just a couple weeks away, but do you guys know what week it is this week? It's National Sleep Awareness Week, so we are going to go over our sleeper teams for the 2021 Major League Baseball campaign. So we're going to go over the teams that we think are under the radar here that could have some success and surprise some people here in 2021. Matt, I'll start with you, man. Who Who is your sleeper team of the week here? Well, Max, my sleeper team has got to be the Tampa Bay Rays. And some may question, why am I choosing a team that made the World Series last year? Well, it's because they sold a lot during the offseason. They lost Blake Snell, they lost Charlie Morton, among many other guys. And I think that this year a lot of people are having them on the down low. But the one thing you have to remember, we talked about this before we went on the air. This is Tampa Bay. These are the Rays. Every time that someone knocks them down, they find some sort of way through analytics to make poor players, to make good players, to make average players great players. And I think especially as long as Kevin Cash is at the helm, anything can happen with Tampa. And hopefully if they get to the point they were last year, Kevin Cash takes a more traditional approach to managing baseball. But prior to that, he absolutely did a great job. And when he's at the helm, anything can happen. Yeah, and I think for the majority of the season, they'll definitely probably stick to analytics because it's what got them to the World Series here. And I think that's what is allows them to generate this success here. I mean, you look at this rotation, what they're adding this offseason. You bring in Chris Archer, who, of course, has struggled mightily uh, the last couple years with the Pirates. And again, it'll be his second stint with the Rays. Michael Waka as well, a guy who was so dominant just, you know, back in 2013. And so Rich Hill, a guy who has benefited so much from analytics, dropping the sinker, emphasizing the curveball usage. Colin McHugh, another guy who was very good out of the pen a couple years ago. Again, a guy who potentially could have been a starter, a really good starter with the Astros in the past. All four of those guys that I've mentioned are guys who are destined to blossom under the analytics department of the Rays here. And I'm not saying every single one of those guys is going to, you know, have an epiphany that turns them into Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole or Jacob deGrom of right now in today's age. But I think that that can benefit them. And you have guys who come from different arm slots, different changes in velocity. I mentioned that earlier. You got Rich Hill, who's throwing a breaking ball the majority of the time. His fastball doesn't hit higher than 87 miles an hour. Uh, And then you're bringing in Tyler Glass now to start the next day and so forth. And then your bullpen has a nice mix and variety of different velocities and arm angles as well. And that's what the Rays succeed off of. I think you're absolutely right on that, Matt. I think people are railing a little bit too hard on on them. And don't get me wrong, the Yankees are very good. 
good. Probably going to win that division. The Blue Jays are very good. Probably going to push for a wild card spot. But you can't sleep on this Rays team because they've basically always been under the radar, especially on paper, but they're able to do it in the analytics department. And I think that's invaluable at this point and something that's been really underlooked and something that's been almost tarnished by that game six decision by Kevin Cash with Blake Snell when in reality that approach is what got them there and I don't think people recognize that enough so I think that's an absolutely fantastic pick Matt Uh, Tommy what's your pick for the sleeper of 2021 well my sleeper pick isn't necessarily going to be in terms of making the postseason but I think that this team uh, can certainly make it back to the LCS, which they've done several times over the past few years. It's going to be the Houston Astros. Now, they're without Justin Verlander, obviously lost Garrett Cole. Um, and, you know, we all saw last year what they were able to do. They had a losing record, but they managed to uh, be just one win away from the World Series again. And I certainly think they could be back there. And you take a look at some of the stronger teams in the American League, the Yankees, Personally, I expect them to be there. No bias. Um, Yeah, no bias. (laughs) um, And then the White Sox as well. I think that they certainly could be there competing to go to the World Series. But I think that Houston potentially could be back there. um, Because you look at the really, really strong teams in this league. The majority of them are coming out of the National League with the Dodgers, Padres, and then just that stacked um, NL East. So I think that... Going back to the American League, I think that with the addition of Jake Odorizzi and that core that they already have there, I think that they do have the opportunity to compete. I certainly hope that they don't get back to the World Series or to the LCS. Um, that's my personal bias. Taking it, just looking at it a little more, actually, Ryan Stanek they had in the bullpen. So they did make some improvements uh, to the team and, you know, their core of Altuve. Uh, Bregman, they did lose Springer, so that makes him even more of a sleeper. But yeah, that's a you know long way to explain it. But I got Houston as my sleeper. I don't mind that at all. They asked. They also added Pedro Baez to the pen as well. He's been that's dealing true. with some health situations so right now. Manfred is gonna have to have some additional rules down. Houston <laughs> for pace of play. <laughs> yeah, the ball game's gonna be a little bit slower in the seventh and eighth inning. Uh, but. Despite injuries so far here early on this spring, buys if he's healthy for them could be a really important piece. And then you look at the back end of that pen with Ryan Presley, who's another guy who has blossomed because of analytics, uh, can definitely be a staple for them. But their rotation, I think, is deceptively good here. Again, Zach Greinke is definitely getting older here, but is still very solid. Adding Odorizzi, again, a guy who was so good in All-Star in 2019, we talked about it last week, I think will benefit from the Astros' philosophies, but not only that, just being healthy this year. And then guys like Christian Javier, McCullers Jr., Urquidy. The Valdez injury to his finger is very rough. Hopefully he could get back at some point midseason. But it's a decent rotation right there that I think is really underlooked. And then they still have Altuve coming back. Bregman, Correa, Brantley. Tucker was phenomenal last year. I shouldn't say phenomenal, but really, really good last year and is looking to grow. So I think this Astros team is still really good. I think they are so hated, they are underrated. You know, I say with Bryce Harper, he is so overrated that he's underrated. The Astros are so hated, they are underrated. And I think they'll surprise some people this year in 2021. All right, my sleeper team. I don't know if this is really a sleeper team, but I wanted to shine some light on them because they had a good offseason here. And, you know, I don't expect this team to make the playoffs. You know, I think the Indians are better than them. I think the Twins are better than them. The White Sox are absolutely better than them. But 
this Kansas City Royals team made some vast improvements this offseason. Now, many people will point to Andrew Benatendi, which was a great move, probably their most significant move, but adding Carlos Santana as well. Um, you have the core of Whit Merrifield, Alberto Mondesi. Of course, Bobby Witt Jr. has been a star this spring. I don't know if he'll be on the opening day roster, but it's destined to come up at some point, uh, if not in 2021 and 2022. Jorge Soler coming off of a 50 home run season in 2019 in which he led the American League. This is a good Royals team. And then you add Brad Keller, who was good last year, a sub-3 ERA. Again, a guy who's been very capable of very good things. Mike Miner they brought in as well, uh, who had a rough year last year, but in 2019 with the Rangers was very good. Again, question marks. But what I like to see here from the Royals is growth and a lack of complacency and a motivation to at least put a competitive team on the field and try to win. They could sneak in for a wild card spot. I want to put my money on it. But my point here is, is they're a very good team. I think when people think of the Royals right now, they think last place in the American League Central, no chance at anything entertaining. But I think the Royals will be a really fun team to watch this year. So that's why they're my sleeper pick. Yeah, Max, I, I, I see where you're coming from here. However, I think, you know, the one problem Kansas City and you hit on it is that they're in a tough division and is evident by what the Chicago White Sox tried to do in the early part of the 2010s, mid-2010s, before they really hit their stride over the last year. And then when they had the guys in the farm system a couple of years before, I think that when you try to reload instead of rebuilding, you can't get to that elite level. And I think that the Royals could get to the 75-80 win mark and could be playing relevant baseball over the last six to eight weeks of the season. But at the end of the day, I think that their best chance is to play spoiler for someone else and to not be in contention for the postseason. Yeah, you nailed it. You hit it on the head right there. I think... If you're the Royals and you're a Royals fan right now, 75 to 78 wins would be a W for you. That'd be a very successful season. You know, you're progressing, you're moving forward, you're improving. And I think that's what the Royals are capable of right now. You know, I've seen some rumors where people are going on a limb and saying Royals second wildcard spot. I'm not that convinced. I don't think that's going to happen. However, I, I do think they're on the rise here. You know, Nicky Lopez even. I didn't even mention him, a Gold Glove finalist last year. Salvador Perez, a big bounce back here last year. Again, I don't expect crazy big numbers from him. You know, he is getting older, and that was a short 60-game season. But they got some pieces here, and it seems that the vibe around that team is very positive right now. So I'm going to be looking at them. They're definitely a sleeper team in a different aspect. You know, they're not the sleeper team that you expect to make the playoffs, but a sleeper team that I think will be really I, fun I and entertaining. Can, can make noise. Yes, they'll be entertaining. They'll be entertaining. That's my argument here. Speaking of entertaining, there's plenty of ballparks around Major League Baseball that have entertained fans for generations. We're going to go over our top five stadiums in Major League Baseball right now, but the one catch here is it's top five stadiums that does not include our favorite teams. So no Wrigley Field for Matt, no Yankee Stadium for Tommy, and no T-Mobile Park for me. I think Matt's the one that's hurt the most in this case because Wrigley Field is easily one of the best (laughs) ballparks in baseball, if not the best. Uh, But Matt, let's start with you. Without Wrigley Field, what are your top five major league stadiums? Well, Max, my top five. At number five, I have to go with the Rogers Center up in okay. Toronto. I think even hey. though even though that it's on the chopping block, people are debating about moving it, getting rid of it. I think that the overall concept that it is one of the last stadiums of that era with the retractable roof, I think 
just add some more charm to it. In addition, if you go into things like location, it's in the best location possible. It's in downtown Toronto, right on the Gardner Expressway, which is adjacent to Lake Ontario. It's literally, if the roof is open, it's a nice day. You have the CN Tower that's right next to it. You can look up and stare at it. And also, if you want to catch a double feature and the Blue Jays are playing a day game at the beginning or the end of the season, it's walking distance from the Scotiabank. Uh, I forget what, what the name of it is, but the Scotiabank Center, Scotiabank Arena. There's so many Scotiabank stadiums in Canada anyways <laughs> that it's hard to keep them straight. But walking distance from that and then the way, just the mechanic to the roof. I took a tour there a few years ago and the tour guide spent so much time going over how the panels move on the roof. He's like, panel one goes to panel two, then panel three slides over, up, and around. And even though I was like 12 years old, 13, 14 years old, and, you know, just cared about the baseball aspect of it, I think that, especially considering that the Blue Jays have struggled to draw a crowd, I think that makes the experience even better because you can get cheap seats that are good seats. And now moving on to my number four. My number four has got to be... I gotta go City Field here, and I think you look at even though I've never been there personally for a game that's on my bucket list, I've heard many things. The first thing about it is that it's a baseball stadium in the middle of a food truck convention, <laughs> and when you go to the ballpark, obviously food is a key factor. And the fact that I hear that they have good food outside vendors, local vendors, always puts them higher on the list. And then you also look at the exterior, the Ebbets Field esque atmosphere. I think is great. I. Th- think that also again neighborhood even though it's not in the heart of manhattan it's right near flushing meadows park which has a lot as well so that makes it higher on my list and then going with number three my number three i gotta go with tommy's favorite stadium and that's yankee stadium even though i haven't been to the new one or the old one again the history there the iconic such as the bleacher creatures, the short porch and right. I think that that just adds on to it. The number two, I actually have a tie for number two, and that's the one on the south side of Chicago. It's Wrigley North in Milwaukee. <laughs> and my one and a half, uh, my one and a half stadium has got to be PNC Park. And going through these briefly, guaranteed rate, you got discount hot dogs on Wednesdays. And when the North Siders invade the South Side, there's no better environment because they can't get a sellout. They struggle to get a sellout. We take advantage. We as Cubs fans take advantage of the cheap seats and absolutely flood the place. It's great. It turns into Wrigley South. Same thing with now American Family Field up in Milwaukee. Same thing. They struggle to get a shutout. Cubs fans keep their lights on. And it's great always being in enemy territory. And then for my one and a half, I got to go with PNC Park. PNC Park, obviously, with the two rivers on the intersection right there, the beautiful view. Also, Kyle Schwarber hitting a monstrosity of a home run back in the wildcard game in 2015. Has some good uh, television memories from that park. And now quickly with my number one, I think this should be a unanimous number one considering the constraints of this contest, and that's Fenway Park. Haven't had the privilege of seeing a game there in quite some time but have been there multiple times. I lived in Boston, the Boston area, over the last semester and driving past there, going to Logan Airport from where I was in Waltham. You know, you just got to look out the window, admire the ballpark, the Green Monster, the history of it. And it's also one of the closest ballparks to Wrigley, considering I can't name it. 
and the historical aspect. You know, you think of the people who played there. That's why it's my number one. That's awesome to hear. Fenway Park is definitely on my list as well. Before we get to that, Tommy, what's your top five? Yeah, I think you had a great list, Matt. I'm going to go with PNC Park in Pittsburgh at number five. But let me tell you, for the ones that I've been to, it's certainly one of my favorites. The view of the whole city there is just incredible. It's a great place to watch a game. Uh, My dad grew up near Pittsburgh, just a little bit outside, and um, he grew up a Pirates fan, and we went a few years ago. It was a great time. So I got PNC Park at number five. Number four, I'm going to go with Oracle Park um, in San Francisco. That's one I haven't been to, but it just looks incredible. You have McCovey Cove. Um, you know, always love seeing everybody out there in the kayaks going for home runs. And um, I'd love to go there someday. So that is my number four. Um, at number three, I got to go with Dodger Stadium, another one that I'd love to go to. One of the most iconic ballparks, third oldest in Major League Baseball. You think about all the history that's taken place there, um, all the historic figures. Um, you know, in that organization, Tommy Lasorda, Vin Scully on the broadcast side, Sandy Koufax, um, Jackie Robinson, who didn't play in L.A., but just an incredible organization, great stadium, and uh, love to go there someday, so that's my number three. At number two, I'm going to go with Fenway Park, which is just amazing. I love going there. Um, you mentioned it, Matt, all the history that's taken place there, the Green Monster, There's just so many cool things about that ballpark. The dimensions, um, so different than many other stadiums. So, got to go with Fenway at number two. And since you can't do it, Matt, I'm going to go with Wrigley Field at number one. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, I've been there as well. I know you've been there many times, and I just loved it. The Ivy and just that whole neighborhood I love. I think it's great, and you can speak to it more, but um, Wrigley's got to be my number one, second oldest ballpark in baseball, and uh, certainly one of my favorites. All righty, with that, we're going to head to a break, but make sure to stay tuned. we got so much more left for you guys. Our predictions for the American League West coming up right up for you guys. You're listening to On the Mound here on VIC with Max Tanzer, Tommy Wuma, and Matt Sossler. Hey, besties. If you love VIC radio as much as we do, you want to know what's going on in the studio, or you want to stay in the VIC loop, why not follow us on our Twitter at VIC Radio and our Instagram, which is also at VIC Radio. Keep listening to the best of what's next, your favorite indie music station. Welcome back to On the Mound here on VIC. Max Tanzer joined alongside Tommy Wuma and Matt Sossler. Final segment of the day, but it's always a good one. We're giving you our predictions for the 2021 Major League Baseball standings. We've gone through the entirety of the National League. Now it's time for the American League. Let's start in the West, the home of my Mariners, of course. Unfortunately, guys, I do not have the Mariners ranked high on this one. I'll give you mine first, then we can react. You guys can give you ours or your guys's. Um, So first, I got the Astros in first, the A's in second, Angels in third, Mariners in fourth, Rangers in fifth. Tommy, Matt, why don't you give me your guys' predictions, and then we could talk about them. Well, I'll run through mine first. I got Texas fifth, Seattle fourth, L.A. third, Houston second, and Oakland first. Tommy, what do you got? Um, I have pretty much the same thing. I'm going Rangers in five, Mariners in four, Angels in three. Houston in two, and then Oakland winning that division in the West. Yeah, and I think it's really a 
two-man race right here between the A's and the Astros in this case. The only thing that concerns me about the A's, and it shouldn't be something to be too worried about, is that you know, they didn't get much better this offseason. You could make the same case with the Astros, but the Astros at least boosted their rotation a bit um, and brought back Brantley versus if you look at the A's right now, they lost Liam Hendricks, they lost Marcus Simeon and so forth. Um, and I think the biggest question mark for them right now is definitely going to be that offense. And, you know, you got good pieces and assets in Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, and so forth. But that was their biggest struggle last year. The pitching was very good. You know, their pitching was very interesting last year because they came in with Shamanea, Frankie Montas, and so forth, you know, presum- presumably going to be the anchor of your rotation. But then all of a sudden, it was your Chris Bassett's and so forth who really carried them to that division title. Uh, but I think what the Astros have is that core offensively, and I touched on it a little bit earlier here, but I really do think that Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, and Carlos Correa as a whole are going to bounce back. I think that people are being too hard on them just because of the 60-game season. Look, I know Altuve struggled, but Jose Altuve is still a great hitter, and I still think he's capable of putting up really good numbers next year. You added the fact that you have Kyle Tucker playing his first full big league season, a guy who's been logjammed the last couple years. You bring back Brantley. We talked about the rotation already. The bullpen's very decent as well. I just think they're the best overall team right now in the division. You could still talk about the A's, but that's why I have the Astros at first. Yeah, no, I certainly think that they're a good pick. I said they're my sleeper team earlier, and no, I agree with you for sure, Max. I think that Jose Altuve, he's going to be fine. I mean, you know, we saw what he was able to do, and then, you know, obviously all the questions about how much he was aided by the sign stealing. And, you know, you hear reports that he was one of the only ones that wasn't using it. He said, distract him up there. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know what to believe from that whole situation. But I'm with you. I think that offensively they're still going to be a force. Alex Bregman, we saw what he's able to do. Carlos Correa, uh, very productive, and to bring back Michael Brantley. I think that was a big move as well. Almost thought he went to Toronto, right? But, um, <laughs> and no, but I agree um, in terms of the pitching as well. Jake Odorizzi, that's a huge move, I think. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, Justin Verlander, he is out for the year. But um, I think that this is a solid team, and I can definitely see why you put them at number one. Yeah, and piling off of Tommy's argument here, I think Springer's a big loss. That honestly made a big difference for me. And the other thing that's making a difference for me, and we talked about this sort of tying all three of our segments together, is that this is going to be the first year where there's some capacity of fans in the majority of ballparks. <laughs> this is the first full season that Houston has to deal with fans coming off of that sign-stealing scandal. Last year, they sort of got a one-year reprieve from the scrutiny, from the full grind of a full 162 games. And I don't think they've hit it yet. And I also don't think, especially in the Bronx, (laughs) and especially in Boston, among other places, especially I'd say every team, the fans have not forgotten what this team has done. And on the road, it is going to be very difficult for this team to perform. And that's half their game is right there. And I think the fact that it's that tight between Oakland and Houston, those few games can make a difference. And I also think, again, going back inside the diamond, the loss of Springer, the fact that Verlander's out. And again, first full season with these guys who were there in 2017 through 2019 that they have to deal with, can they perform without the aids of sign stealing? 
Yeah, and I'll give the A's some credit here. They brought in Trevor Rosenthal, who was fantastic with both the Royals and the Padres last year. A real bounce-back guy. Sergio Romo, who had a good year with the Twins as well, they brought in. They brought back Yusmero Petit, along with keeping Jake Diekman and J.P. Wendelkin, who all have been very, very good the last couple years. So that bullpen is very, very promising, very, very dependable, I'd say. And then you look at the offense. I talked about, of course, Matt Chapman and Matt Olson earlier. They're bringing Elvis Andrews to replace Marcus Simeon again. I don't think that's going to be too spectacular. I just think Andrews is well past his prime. But then you look at the guys like Ramon Laureano, uh, Stephen Piscotti, and so forth, again, who are capable of great things. Mark Canna, one of the most underrated right-handed power bats in the game. They added Mitch Moreland as well uh, to be a good DH left-handed bat first base as well if Olsen needs some days off. So I think if you're the A's right here, you have a lot of potential. I think they're capable of running away with this division. I just think there's too many question marks at this point. I think they're a little bit thin in terms of firepower right now, and I think that's what separates the Astros from them because the Astros still have that big core like I talked about. A team we have not talked about yet in this division, we touched on them a little bit earlier at the very beginning of the show, is the Los Angeles Angels, and I almost picked them as my sleeper, you guys, because I think the Angels are still a very, very good team. Whether Otani is pitching or not I think their rotation again there's a lot of scrutiny for the Angels especially the last few years because their pitching depth has just not been there or their pitching in general has just not been there and they've had the capabilities offensively to be a good playoff team but really besides 2014 where they did have the best record in the American League and were swept out of the division series by the wildcard Royals they really haven't shown up I know they were competitive in 2016 and 15 and so forth but it's just not the same but the rotation this year I think is really underlooked you got Dylan Bundy, Andrew Heaney, Griffin Canning, all three very dependable guys. They bring in Jose Quintana. Again, a little bit of a question mark there. Alex Cobb, another, you know, bank guy, I'd call it. But those five together are pretty dang solid. You add Otani into the mix, if he could put up some good numbers this season and stay healthy and give them 15-ish starts or so, I think that's a pretty solid rotation with the offense they have, like we talked about earlier, in Mike Trout, in Anthony Rendon. Jared Walsh had a very productive year last year. Uh, At shortstop, Jose Iglesias will save a lot of runs as well. They brought in Dexter Fowler too. Again, that's another bank guy, but a nice veteran piece. Then you have your younger guys like Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele coming up that'll probably replace Upton and Fowler and those guys at some point soon in the future here if not this year years after that so I think the Angels are a very solid team again a lot of question marks but you know if there's a year to pounce on the American League West this is the year it's wide open the Astros are not the same team anymore the A's I don't think they're the same team that they were the last couple years either I think this is a tremendous opportunity for the Angels yeah, I agree with you, Max. I honestly think that this is going to be a three-team race. Someone mentioned, I forget who it was, earlier that it's a two-team race. But now that I'm looking fully in-depth at this Angels roster, you add a guy like Quintana, and even though he was out for the majority of the season last year due to an injury that he sustained off the field, he's got a new chance here. And again, Joe Madden is a magician. Sometimes it makes <laughs> you want to rip your hair out. Other times it makes you put your hands on your face in shock because you can't believe what he just did. But if Joe Madden can create more smart decisions than poor decisions, this team can be nasty. It has, as you mentioned, Dexter Fowler, a consistent leadoff guy. Even though he's getting older, he can still man that center field or right field spot, wherever you want to put him, and create some stability in the top spot. Also keep in mind, looking at this bullpen, Razel Iglesias came over from Cincinnati. You have Junior Guerra and Alex Claudio, both, Very both nice. former Brewers, yes. who Madden managed against and gave 
the best team in baseball, the Chicago Cubs, back from 2015 to 2017. Huge fits. Milwaukee, especially in Milwaukee, was always a game that made your heart race because of those two guys. And the fact that they're there, in addition to Felix Pena, who obviously was a part of that combined, uh, I believe no it was a combined no-hitter right after uh, after Tyler Skaggs, excuse me, passed away. Uh, again, a phenomenal moment. And then Alex Cobb as well. And also you got Kurt Suzuki behind the plate, who's a veteran presence there. Max Dassey was good in a small sample size, too, behind the dish last Albert year. Albert Pujols in his final season. Anthony Rendon, who's a former... MVP candidate, and then you also looking to top off this list. You got Shohei Otani, who we talked about earlier on the show, and if he's managed correctly and used correctly, this could be a three-team race in between the top three. And I also wouldn't be surprised. I don't have it on my list, but if LA is going to the playoffs representing the West, yeah, it'd be very, very cool. And that's coming from a Mariners fan. You know, at this point, I want to see the Angels succeed. They're and a fun team. Too. There, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's like past the point. It's the obvious where we don't even need to mention Mike Trout. But yes, you have arguably the best player in Major League Baseball on your team, and I think it's pretty clear that the Angels want to make the playoffs. They need to make the playoffs. Bringing in Manassian as their new GM, obviously firing Billy Epler. They're trying to change things up right here, and they're not going to take a step back and rebuild here. They're putting the foot in the gas right here. You know, it's, fans wanted the Angels to go out and get Trevor Bauer. And, you know, sure, it seems like... On the surface, Trevor Bauer may solve all your problems, you know, because they need pitching. But in reality, that's just one pitcher here. It would have been very nice. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to diminish that. Trevor Bauer and the Angels would have helped them. would have been a monumental move for them. But right now, I think the bigger question is, is how many starting pitchers can contribute for them. And I think that all boils down to Dylan Bundy, Heaning, Canning, Quintana, and so forth. Alex Cobb, I'm a little hesitant on. We'll see. Um, We'll see if they can work with him a little bit here. He really struggled with the Orioles last year. And they gave a pretty good prospect in Jemai Jones up for him. But my point here is, is that... It's a great opportunity if you're an Angels fan right now, and I think they really want to push forward with this. They are spending a lot of money, and I think that's what really held them back ultimately this offseason, but they got an opportunity here. How cool would it be? You know, I think most people forget that Mike Trout's even been in the playoffs, that 2014 run. They were dominant that year. You know, you got Garrett Richards, Jared Weaver, of course, in your rotation, Matt Shoemaker as well, and then you got Pujols, who was still very good. Mike Trout obviously won the MVP that year, and they get swept out of the playoffs. Mike Trout goes one for 11 or so, that one hit a home run, and that's it. People forget about it. They don't remember. This Angels team needs to get Mike Trout in the postseason. You know, what's worse? Ken Griffey Jr. not going to a World Series or Mike Trout going to one postseason series in which they got swept. I don't know. Both are really bad. Let's hope that the Angels don't have to worry about that 20 years from now. For sure, and I think you covered the Angels really well. They're a very solid team. They could certainly compete. And, you know, honestly, I think that it's going to be between Oakland and Houston, but as you mentioned, they have a lot of good pieces on this team. Uh, Rendon at third base. And, you know, Mike Trout, two MVP caliber players right there. Um, Absolutely outstanding. Shohei Otani, as we talked about earlier, he could even compete for an MVP. So they have some very dynamic players on the team. You mentioned Justin Upton left field. What a talent he is. He's been around for a long time. Uh, Dexter Fowler and right. I mean, it's a really solid team. Yes, Ligaris. I mean, I think it's a great team. So I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they were competing towards the end of the season i i don't think they're gonna make the postseason but i certainly hope they do you touched on uh wanting to see mike trout in the postseason that'd be great i think it would be tremendous for the game and you know we've talked about this before he 
personally, I don't think he's marketed quite as well as he should be. And to get him out in the postseason, that would just be great. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely rooting for the Angels out there. Yeah, you know, the couple things to look forward for the Angels right now is we talk about Fowler and Upton, those two veterans in the outfield right now, to the transition from them to Brandon Barch and Joe Adele. And not only that, but Albert Pujols' contract expiring after this year as well will free up some room to spend for Manassian and his crew in the baseball operations department over there in Anaheim. So once Pujols' contract falls off the payroll here, hopefully the Angels can go out and get that ace if that's what they want to go shoot for. And I think that opportunity definitely will be out there for them. Alrighty, that's going to wrap up our show today. We thank you guys so much for tuning in here on VIC. For Matt Sossler, Tommy Muma, I'm Max Tanzer. Thank you so much for listening to On the Mound. Make sure to stay tuned to VIC here, New York Take a Walk, coming up next.